Yo. Hi. Lorraine and Jamie back again. Yo. <laughs> yo. I'm, I'm just saying this for Joel. He likes it when I say yo, so I'm yo. saying yo a lot. So this week on the Sensory Matters podcast, Jenny is chatting to Lana Grant, who is an autistic adult. She is a mother of six, three of which are also... What? How can you have children? <laughs> is that scary? Yes. So she's autistic, she's a mother of six, three of which are also autistic, and she owns, or runs her own consult, autism consultancy. Uh, so this podcast is going to be really, really good to watch. Unless you're me, because <laughs> I, I am terrified of children. That sounded wrong. I'm terrified yeah. of having children, more accurately. Yeah, well, Lana might give you some good tips. She might change your mind. Um, we'll will see. She, will she teach me to not want to throw my brother out the window? No, but she's going to give us some great tips on being pregnant when you're autistic, things to do, um, yeah, loads of stuff. So you might change your mind after listening to this. So I don't think so. Should we have a listen? Okay. Yeah, you, you guys have a listen and we'll see you after. We love a net and we love a jet. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here back again with another Sensory Matters. And today I have the great pleasure of chatting to Lana Grant. Hi Lana. Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Good. So I, I'm sure many of you have heard of or know Lana Grant because she does, um, you, you kind of roam the country talking and spreading the word, don't you? I do. I um, do. Yes, you do. So for those that don't know, you've got your own autism consultancy, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, so you kind of do various training across the country. You have yeah. your own experience of autism because you yourself have Asperger's. Yeah. Um, you have a child um, as well. You're a parent of autism child. I'm a parent of six children. I know, six. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And three of them are diagnosed uh, with autism. So, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, if we're, if we're talking to someone who knows what she's talking about, then I think we've found her. <laughs> Hopefully. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's let's start with just you first and your journey, because the bit yeah. I always get confused about is Asperger's changed, didn't it? It was seen as part of the autism yeah. spectrum dis disorder, yeah. and you, yeah. but they used to give a diagnosis for Asperger's, and that's now changed. Is that right? It has, yeah. It changed when I think when they introduced the DSM five criteria. So um, previously, to my knowledge and all the the information that I've read, the only difference between Asperger's and autism is that with Asperger's there was no language delay. Um, so uh, you know, th there's a lot of talk about intelligence levels, and um, I don't really buy into any of that. I think ultimately. I describe myself as being on the autistic spectrum because autism is a spectrum and it's about being neurodiverse. But they've taken Asperger's away now, which didn't, I think it bothered a lot of people, didn't really bother me that much. But, it, you know, I understand it bothered a lot of people. Um, but obviously, in light of, of recent events that have kind of been spoken about, Hans Asperger and um, his connection to, to the Nazis, I think a few people are quite happy for that to be, to be removed. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Autism is a spectrum and um, 
I just feel that yeah we're all placed somewhere individually on that spectrum so um yeah so my journey was really after my son my son was diagnosed with Asperger's um initially um and I how old was he when that happened he was about 12 he'd always he'd always been um different to my other two um my, my older sons um but we kind of put it down to the fact that he was just a different personality, which was fine. Um, and it was only really when he got to secondary school that, that difficulties began to show for him. Okay. Um, so he, yeah, so he was um, referred and diagnosed. And it was during those conversations with a psychologist. And she said, um, no, do you know if you thought maybe you might be on the autistic spectrum yourself? And I was like, no, I don't really think women. Oh, women autistic, really? Um, because that was my my limited knowledge. Yeah. Um, and it was only after kind of looking at it because I'd been diagnosed with lots of other um, conditions, depression, postnatal depression, anxiety disorder, which I still take. I'll, I will happily accept the anxiety disorder because that is a biggie. Um, but, yeah, lots of other conditions, but they didn't seem to fit because I didn't feel depressed. Mm-hmm. Um so when I went through the assessment procedure for, for Asperger's, then that did fit and that kind of sat with me. Um, and for me, that was um, a fantastic um, kind of experience to suddenly realise, actually, so there's not anything wrong with me then. Mm-hmm. It's, I see the world differently and I experience things differently. So, yeah, yeah I was 38 then. That was 10 years ago. Okay. So now how old I am. <laughs> well, you don't look 48, so... Oh, thank you. <laughs> definitely not. Okay, so um, you, you found getting that diagnosis for you a positive thing? Absolutely. I think because I'd been... Um, I'd always felt different mm-hmm. um, from, from a very young age, and, and obviously I couldn't rationalise that as a child. Um, but then when I went into secondary school, very similar to my son, really, I found that every, everyone else seemed to be able to get on with things yeah. and I couldn't I always felt as I was about three steps behind okay. um, understanding what the expectations were of me I'm not talking academically because that's not you know that's that's not the big deal for me it's about the social side of things um, and I always felt that I didn't fit in or I was three steps behind everyone else and I didn't understand the social um, issues that that were occurring I went to a girls school which well, didn't really help um, <laughs> because it, it was very social yeah um, and I just felt that everyone seemed to be getting on and they planned their lives. They were going off to college and I was floundering. And I didn't really know what to do or which direction to go in. And that's when it began to affect my mental health. So once I had the diagnosis, rather than thinking, I'm just rubbish, hmm. I can't do life, which is what I thought, um, I kind of thought, well, hang on, I can do life, but I do it differently. Yeah. And that's that's absolutely fine and that's okay. Okay, so you you obviously had the social side of the struggles. Do you Mm -hmm. struggle with any of the other common things that people with autism struggle with? Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, obviously the sensory side of it, which I didn't didn't realize until I'd been doing my job for a while and sensory kind of came to the forefront and we started to realize actually um, the majority of autistic people have sensory sensitivity so I'd always had that as a child I couldn't be out in the sun my parents used to uh, used to say that I was a vampire because I wouldn't go out if it was sunny because I couldn't stand the, the light mm-hmm. um, I'd get headaches lots of textural difficulties I couldn't wear certain clothes I had to have the labels all of the classic things you read about really. Yeah, 
never really understood. Um, certainly, I had lots of um, idiosyncrasy, lots of re- repetitive behaviour, um, which again, I just that was just me, and, yeah. and that was fine. Um, but sometimes it would become worrying that you know I'd think, well, I need to do this before I can do that. Um, so that that kind of I used to think, well, do other people do that? But it's not really something you ask other mm. people. So, um, so yeah, I had lots of those. But and I would say the the biggest, as I said earlier, the anxiety affects yeah. everything. Mm. I mean, that that is so common, though, isn't it? And yeah. and m- mental health challenges and anxiety just seem to come hand in hand. Absolutely. From what I've all the people that I've spoken to doing this, that yeah. they all have something, whether it be anxiety or depression or whatever yes. else. And yeah. I find that fascinating because yeah. is is that a result? And this is me probably putting two and two together and coming up with fifty eight. Is it a result of that feeling of not fitting in and the effect that that has on your mental health? And is that is that then a lifelong baggage that you carry? I think so. I think because I work with I work with young people and I work with young people from nursery age right up to to post 16 and obviously my own children and my own experiences. I think that um, very often we can a lot of us and obviously I'm talking I'm not talking about every autistic person, um, but many of us are very hypersensitive. We overthink things. And because we've spent most of our life, especially if you have a light diagnosis, if you spend most of your life watching everyone else and how they react to things to check that, well, I need to react in that way so that I'm doing it in in the right way. Mm. Obviously, you're hypervigilant. You overthink everything. And that hits your anxiety levels massively. Mm. If you feel, you know, you're not good enough because maybe you didn't understand the question that the teacher asked you. So you got that wrong, whether it's socially or academically. That's chip, chip, chip away Mm. at your self-esteem constantly. And I think, yes, of course, you you know, you are going to be more prone to to mental health conditions because because of the nature of the fact that you quite often don't feel as though you're I suppose you don't feel as though you're good enough because you don't feel as though you're getting it in the way that everyone else does so what what's the solution is it is it possible to prevent the decline of mental health before it gets too big is it possible I think I think it is. I think in my experience, and it's only my experience of, of young people that I've worked with, the younger and the earlier a diagnosis is given, most of those young people will have quite a healthy outcome yeah. because what we've done with them, I mean, I'm thinking about my own son, who my youngest little boy who was diagnosed when he was six and he's seven now. Um, he was finding so many things difficult and yet, and we've talked through them all and I'm able to explain things to him. And there are some great books out there that talk about neurodiversity and and actually his mental health, I mean, he suffered massively with anxiety pre-diagnosis. Yeah. His diagnosis, he still gets anxious moments. But because of the work that I've done with the school and I've said to them, you know, if you do this, this and this, tiny little adjustments really help him. His anxiety levels have dropped. So I'm a big believer that actually the more we talk about difference mm-hmm. and the more that we can say to each other, OK, autism is, is the name and that's that's OK. But actually this is what's happening and this is how you feel but that's okay because we can do this yeah. to help you and and that person over there might feel the same way too yeah then 
don't feel so alone. I think it's when you think you're the only person yeah. in a room of 20 people that really needs to get out. Yeah. Then you think there's something wrong with you. So, yes, I do. Um, but I think, you know, the issue is that at the moment in society, we're putting so much pressure on our young people. And I'm not going to talk about school. and, and <laughs> We'd be here all day. <laughs> yeah. So I think we've put so much pressure on them, but we haven't helped them to develop those coping mechanisms. And yeah. we need to be starting that work earlier yeah. and sooner rather than later. So what kind of things have helped your son with his anxiety then? And what sort of strategies do you employ to manage your own anxiety? Um, the things that have helped my, my son at school has been, he's, you know, he's, he's verbally very able. So school didn't see the autism. They didn't see the meltdowns. He's the typical kind of bottle of pop at school and then he kind of explode at home. They didn't see that. So just by him having the job of, of, putting up the visual timetable and knowing what's coming next so he has that responsibility has helped him being able to have lots of visuals even though he's verbally able he needs those visuals to be able to indicate to a teacher look I'm feeling a bit I need need to talk to you about this yeah. uh, so it's just been really tiny little tweaks that haven't cost the school lots in in you know time and money but it's just about them about school also thinking outside the box and thinking well okay he's not presenting that way but we'll just do that because that might help his anxiety levels yeah um, and for me I think it was the realization of having my diagnosis um and I, I I'm on anti-anxiety medication but I'm only on a tiny amount which is um it's kind of a, a dose that it's a maintenance dose um because uh when I was pregnant with my son I had diabetes and the doctor said to me you know you you take your insulin wouldn't you if you're diabetes so mm. you have your your kind of brain chemistry mm. needs though that anti-anxiety medication so I take that um but again it's been not beating myself up if there is something that if if I'm feeling particularly down um or low and I've got something coming up, if I feel that I can't cope with it, then I don't beat myself up about it. I just think, okay, right, I can't do that today. Yeah. I'll put that off till next week. Yeah. And I think it's again it's about being kind to yourself. Yes. Because if you feel under so much pressure that you feel, well, I've got to do this, then your anxiety levels just go through the roof. Yeah. So it's kind of planning and being kind to yourself I think yeah that makes a lot of sense um so you're talking about your autism consultancy now because you've yeah. kind of um specialized I suppose in the females and motherhood yeah. and pregnancy and I mean, how how did you get an interest in that um having lots of babies that kind <laughs> of started it off yeah uh, because I thought I think for me having having children and it's only been through post-diagnosis reflection lots of counseling that kind of made me realize that actually once I had children if I went out into a social situation my people I could talk about my children so if someone would come up to me in a shop and say oh what a gorgeous baby I could say oh yes he's so and so he was born at this time he weighs this much so I could give that information out um so it gave I didn't I'm not saying I had children to give me confidence in social situations obviously I didn't but I kind of realized that 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 was really helpful to me so I know that actually having having children for a lot of women is very isolating because sometimes if you've been so used to going out and not being able to discuss social kind of niceties with people that 
suddenly you don't want to go out with your baby because you don't want to have to talk to them about that. And I understand that. Um, and I also think the sensory pressures um, when you're pregnant are huge. I know that I really struggled with lots of sensory difficulties when I was pregnant that I couldn't quite understand why I was doing bizarre things. Mm. Um, like I think I, I've said in my book, you know, I used to sniff water bottles because I had a, a massive thing for the smell of rubber. I still do, actually. <laughs> About three elastic band balls around the house that I sniff regularly mm-hmm. um and i didn't quite get why i was doing that so so i just found that with after my diagnosis when i, I had my sec my sixth child i just thought well okay so i've got my diagnosis now so there will be other autistic mothers like me that i can talk to about my experiences and i googled autism and motherhood and all i got was well don't eat this if you don't want an autistic child all the usual rubbish about don't breathe don't <laughs> breathe in your pregnancy because your child will be autistic so obviously that really wasn't helpful and it's a load of rubbish so i got wasn't interested in that but i thought okay well maybe i'll write a book about my experiences then which I went on to do um, and yes I've specialized in in um, autism and females but I feel now that there are so many so many women that have come forward so many women that talk about it that's wonderful and I kind of think maybe I'll be moving in a different direction at some point um, oh, interesting not too sure yet where where I'm going with that but okay. um, yeah, I, so. I don't I don't see so many women coming forward and doing it I think it's quite <laughs> no I don't I don't um I mean I think there's lots of there's lots more out there about autism in general but yeah. to be yeah. as specific as you you are I think is is fascinating because I, su- I suppose from the people I've spoken to when you're a parent and you've got a young child with autism mm. Yeah. Their biggest concern seems to be, will my child ever be independent? Will they ever be able to go out on their own and live life? Yeah. And the good news is, nine times out of ten, yes. Absolutely. It absolutely is possible. There yeah. is absolutely no reason why you can't have a, a so-called normal functioning life. Absolutely. Um, and it hadn't ever entered my head. Well, there's lots there. There's the whole having a relationship, um, yeah. being touched, having a sexual relationship. Absolutely. Um, carrying a child, going through the um, discomfort um, of childbirth. And then after that, the complete, everything that is is classic autism, um, sweeping generalization, but routine, no, you know, no noise, all the rest of it. Obviously, the very process by having a baby throws all of that up in the air. It does, absolutely. Um, and I think that's why some of the work that I've done with midwives has been around that, you know, certainly through the pregnancy issue, if you're doing a birth plan, do do an autism-friendly birth plan and talk about what you want because, you know, it's your birth, it's your labour, you need to talk about what you want. And that, that was kind of part of why I wrote the book as well was because people aren't, they're, they're just not aware, people aren't aware and it's really hard for me because this is my life. So autism is my life. Um, It's hard for me to still come across people that will say, oh, so women are autistic. (laughs) So autistic women have babies. Wow. And and I find that really difficult. So I'm thinking, oh, I've written the book, you know, so it's out there, but it's common sense. But it's common sense to a lot of people that don't know and don't live it. So I guess, um, you know, yeah, I need to remember that. I mean, I am in the process of of putting something together about a second book. It's taken me a long time. Okay. Um, 
because I am busy. Yeah. Um, really busy um so i am in the process of putting something together about um about a, a second book that might look at motherhood and okay. um, kind of thing so oh. because again it's navigating the school gates you know the school mums the school gates yes. that social interaction yeah. that child brings to you that i always felt well you know i need to go to sensory group with my little boy mm-hmm. um fortunately he hated it so we only went twice and we didn't go again um but it's all of those group experiences that you're yeah. you're expected to go to um yes. so that's kind of that's what i'm kind of working on at the moment yeah and that you want to go to to give the the, the experiences for your child yeah. but obviously yeah. fighting against maybe what you yeah. want exactly um, wanted to go and talk about you know how often the baby slept and whether the baby woke up you know yeah. I didn't feel it necessary I wanted to go and talk about autism or about you know um you know, why are we here why are we on the planet and so nobody wants to talk about that um because you've got babies and it's talking about babies so yeah. I do feel under pressure you know I need to take my baby I need my baby to socialize yeah um, because there is obviously there is scrutiny from um, health visitors and medical professionals. Um, and again, that's a massive issue around the fact that, you know, if you're autistic, you can't mother. That's rubbish. Um, you know, and we need to be having those conversations. We need to be open and talking about how we can support women to um, not even to parent because that's really patronising. But how we can support women to understand the changes that are happening and and to best cope with them and deal with them. Yeah. So in your experience of working with people like this, what are the most common challenges that women face when they fall pregnant and are Um, autistic? I think probably the biggest change is the change. The biggest difficulty is the change in, in how your body feels because many, many of the autistic women that I've spoken to, we're very body aware. Mm-hmm. So the slightest change in your body, you can feel it. Um, and I think that becomes really difficult when you're pregnant because you can read a book and you can think, well, okay, so I'm, I'm going to be sick every morning. Mm. No, actually, you might feel nauseous all day. You might be sick once. You might never be sick. But it's all of those feelings. I feel a little bit dizzy. No, I actually feel as I'm going to fall over. It's all of those different things um, that you think about. So I think it's that. Um, I also think that, again, it's opening up your your body and your life to medical profession, professionals. Because once you get involved with the NHS, mm. they're, you know, they're a, and I've had lots of experience with the NHS, massive machine in itself. And they do things in their routine that actually they don't explain to you always because it's what they do yeah. and you don't see the point of it. Um, and, and I can remember the very first time that I had to give a, a, a if it's too much information, I um, had to give a urine sample. Mm-hmm. They just handed me this package with this kind of funny shaped thing in and a little water bottle. And the water bottle had got some kind of um, powder in it. Mm. And I thought, well, what do I do? I don't know. Do I get rid of the powder? Do I leave the powder in? And and I emptied the powder out, I think, and I'd done, you know, the wrong thing or I left it in, I can't remember. But it's those little things that people don't explain and sometimes we just can't ask. Yeah. I, I couldn't stick my head out of the door and say to anyone, excuse me, do I leave this powder in or not? Because I felt that I should know and I didn't want to ask. So it's just things like that, I think. You open, you open yourself up to a whole range of experiences that potentially you're not equipped to deal with and okay. haven't dealt with before. So if there's someone listening right now who is either pregnant or is planning on becoming pregnant, what would be your kind of three tips for them for managing pregnancy? 
if you're diagnosed autistic, mm-hmm. obviously disclose um, and explain to any of your your birth um, professionals that are looking after you how you feel and what you need. Write out a birth plan, write out um, some kind of care plan as well, some kind of passport. Passports are really good um, because when you get into, into uh, dealing with medics, you end up telling the same story 50 million yeah. times. It's much easier to have it written down. So it's like the passports that I use with children. You know, my my diagnosis is autism, anxiety disorder, dyspraxia, etc. Um, this is what I find difficult to deal with. How you can help me? It's those kinds of things. Um, so that would be one. Would be to disclose. Uh, the second one would be read my book. <laughs> that would be quite helpful. Which is called um, From Here to Maternity, isn't it? it is. And you can get it on Amazon. You can, yes. Yeah. You can get- um and probably the third one would be seek out your tribe because i do have a facebook group for for mothers autistic mothers um we i accept people who are pregnant mm-hmm. because there's a lot of information that that they need there's no mm-hmm. point saying oh well you can't join until you've had the baby um so we've got 2600 plus members Fantastic. so i am massively proud of that oh, you should be started two years ago with 12 members Very so nice. it's increased so i've actually got some extra admins in to help me now because i can't cope with the amount of the amount of people that are coming so look for your tribe read women's first-hand experiences and and use those when you go to your medical appointments and say well look i know this because someone has told me about this or someone's written about this mm-hmm. um, and just yeah just just get help just ask for help and support yeah and and what sort of things, you know, your normal NHS birth plan from memory from my mm-hmm. two kids is basically what sort of pain intervention you want, if any, whether you're yeah. planning, you know, if, if things go wrong, if you're happy to yeah. have C-sections or all those sorts of things. Is yeah. is there, so imagining that the NHS will just treat people if you haven't disclosed in that in that way is there anything Mm. else that an autism parent mum-to-be should Mm. be considering to communicate yeah I mean I think it's really important when I had my 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 last little boy um I had disclosed you know I went marching in there I'm on the autistic spectrum I'm terrified because I've already had five children and now I'm having a sixth um and my anxiety levels are very high um I need to, I mean, having been in hospital recently with with my daughter so many times, I don't understand who invented hospitals and put six people in a ward together. Mm -hmm. How is that conducive to getting well or to having, you know, if you're on a maternity ward, six babies that are crying and, and you've got yours. And so I would explain all of those things. A birth plan a normal, typical birth plan is important because it's about those things that you mentioned, like cesareans, etc. Yeah. But you've also, if you're autistic, you've also got to consider your needs in all of that. So do you need a private room? Because that's a reasonable adjustment. Yeah. Um, there is a big a big thing in the NHS that they'll only use private rooms if you might be uh, contagious, if you're vomiting, that kind of thing. But actually, being being autistic and it, it will affect your state of mind. I discharged myself early from hospital three times mm. because 
I was in a ward and I couldn't cope with a sensory overload, with a social interaction, with having to sleep in, in a, a room where there are other people um, and having, you know, other people's babies crying. Yeah. So I think it's about just discussing discussing that and letting them know your needs as well. Um do you want baby handed straight to you? Mm-hmm. Do you do you want that, or is that actually going to be what will baby be like when it's handed to you? Mm-hmm. Well, usually covered in in vernix and and gunk. So, do you want that, or actually, if you're quite sensory, do you want baby cleaned up first of all? So, it's those kind of things. I think you need to discuss with yeah. with your partner, and that's why sometimes having a doula is a really good idea. Right. Um, well, because actually you've got somebody or just having an advocate for you, whether it's your partner, you know, a family member, someone that can advocate for you when you're not in a position to do that yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then afterwards and the coming home with baby mm-hmm. and and coping with, you know, a complete upset and routine. And I mean, a lot of people who have autism don't sleep terribly well. So um, it, in some ways you could argue it's not much different, but in other ways you could argue it, it will interfere in what little sleep they do get, Absolutely. making everything worse. Yeah. Um, so routines up in the air, there'll yeah. be a lot of noise, etc. What would your tips be for coping with that? I would suggest that, and it's something that I didn't do because I wasn't aware of it, but when I, I went and did um, some birth partner training support um and people talk about a baby moon and i was kind of like what's all this then a baby moon that sounds mm-hmm. a bit strange but you you just kind of let people know before you have your baby that actually for that first week mm-hmm. you're not going to be having you're not going to be accepting visitors um note on the door nobody knocks on the door and you spend that week in bed with it, whoever is with you that can support you hopefully you've got someone with you that can support you looking after you and you just stay there and get to know your baby and stay in bed and and you know don't go out to the shops or don't feel I think there's a massive there's a massive pressure on women to feel the day after they give birth they've got a kind of oh look I'm yeah. you know oh, I'm look, hoping, I'm, yeah. I've just had a baby <clears throat> if you think about years and years ago I mean when my mum had me she stayed in hospital for a week and she she stayed in bed for a week yeah we deserve that. We've worked hard. Labour is called labour for a reason. So, you know, I would think that actually just have some space. Um, and if, you know, if you're, if you're very close relatives, if grandmas come round, don't go and make them a cup of tea while they hold the baby. Mm-hmm. Let them make the tea while you hold your baby for that, that kind of bonding time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the lack of sleep, I can't help anyone on that one because my little boy's seven. He came into my bed last night at 11 o'clock. Uh-huh looking back to his bed and then he was back in again at four o'clock but you know i'm suffering from about seven years lack of sleep (laughs) on that one but it is amazing how you do adjust and you do cope (laughs) you can survive on very little can't you just about yes yeah absolutely um so it sounds to me from everything you've said that the main thing is planning is really putting a good chunk of thought into what might life be like while pregnant, while having the baby in labour and afterwards and thinking about your needs, putting those front and forefront and and then communicating that to everybody. And there's no shame in that. There's no, there's no, no, you know, there's no uh, be proactive rather than letting something happen that absolutely just upset your time with your baby. 
Of course, and it just upsets you. It just upsets everything because then you start to think, well, I, I'm not going to have another baby or I'm rubbish at this. And this is what we need to get away from. We need to get away from people thinking that they, they're rubbish at something or they can't do something because they're finding it tricky. We all find things tricky, but we just don't talk about it because that's not the done thing, is it? So, it, yeah, it's just important to think, OK, this is a, this is a big life change. Yeah. Yes, it's difficult, but you know what? I'm going to ask for some help. Um, and I know that because of the Facebook group I have and the women I've spoken to, many, many women are, are worried about admitting that. So I think, again, we need health visitors, doctors, midwives to be understanding that if someone asks you for help, they're asking for help and they trust you. Yeah. So offer them that help it's not it's not kind of oh gosh we need to refer this on somewhere else what we need to do is we need to help women um rather than kind of, of criticize them and make them feel guilty for asking for help yeah and do you um this has been discussed in our group recently and i'd like your views on it do you believe women present differently to men well this is a good question I believe that every individual presents differently. Now, mm -hmm. I have a my little boy who's seven has a very, what you would call, female presentation of autism. What I would really hate, and it's so important, and all the work that's been done about the presentation of female autism is so, so important, and I'm not detracting from that at all. But when I give talks about, about female autism, I always throw out the disclaimer that actually there are many males that present in the same way, mm -hmm. and we cannot overlook them. You know, I, I go into many schools and staff will say, oh, you know, she's fine or he's fine. Look at that little boy over there. He's fine. Why are you coming to see him? Look at this one over here who's kicking off. Mm. Kind of say, All right, he might look fine, but let's just let's check out the anxiety levels. So again, I think it's important, yes, that we've recognised women are autistic. We recognise that there can be a different presentation, but we also really need to be aware that many, many males present in exactly the same way because otherwise we're going to be doing a lot of men a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and little boys. And conversely, I know that Lorraine always says that her daughter Jamie presented in a very male way. Absolutely. So it can happen. Yeah. It can happen both ways. It can. I've got two daughters. One is diagnosed. The other one should be. Um, <laughs> is she's got Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, and she most definitely has um, the the typical what we'd call a male presentation. But my other daughter has what we call a typical female presentation, and then my little boy has a female presentation. So I think we just need to look at autism as a whole. Yeah. Um, I think what we need to do is be aware that women are autistic. Yeah. Uh, and there is a certain presentation, but that that's that's kind of across the board. Yes. So it's almost like, you know, a lot of good work has been done to, to improve awareness that yeah. both genders can have autism. Yeah. But what we've got to be cautious of now is not pigeonholing that all women present in a certain way. Absolutely. Um, and it is... Yeah. It, all boys present in the same way because I, I, I see it. In fact, I see, I see probably the same amount of boys who present in in what we call a female way as I do boys that present in what we call a male way. Yeah. And that's really interesting because actually you you're going in and you're you're looking at those young people and they've got the same diagnosis but totally different presentation. And really, what we need to be thinking is okay, we're all individuals. Yes. And 
presents differently. You've got your nature, nurture, genetics, and yeah. that's you need to be looking at somebody as a whole. And do you believe autism is genetic, hereditary? Yeah. You do? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do from my own family experience. Yeah. Um, and from working, obviously working with families, um, you know, and it always, a lot of people say to me, oh, yeah, because it's it's the dad, it's the dad. And I'll often say, well, hang on, no, it could be mum or it could be mum and dad. Because yeah. I certainly know in my experience, um, you know, I look at my dad and my dad is definitely on the spectrum, not diagnosed, mm. but my gra- my late grandma absolutely was. Yeah. So again, it's just, it is genetic. And I think, again, it's just about, I know it's really hard for parents and I don't want it to sound as though I'm being blase about it, but I know it's hard for parents because the medical diagnosis of autism is very negative. Um, You know, your child will never do this and they won't do that and they won't have a relationship. So the first thing I say when I'm working with parents is, right, forget all of that. Mm -hmm. because doctors as wonderful and brilliant as they are do not have crystal balls mm-hmm. and they cannot say to your child what your child is your child mm-hmm. and i think it's about aspirations and look at what you've done because yeah. many, many parents will say yeah well i found that really hard at school um so we say, well look what you've achieved look how yeah. well you and this you can do your you know your young person can do that too absolutely and and there are so many people now getting a late diagnosis um, who, who oh, yeah. for from the outside looking in, seem like functioning, Absolutely. hoping people, having a, a family life and holding down a job, and and they are autistic. And Absolutely. it just goes to show that it is totally possible. Um, yeah. You know, so I think it's 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 just realizing that. I think you're right. So many people do see it as a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or certainly, you know, is they talk about all the things that can't happen rather than how yeah. there is this generation who've lived through it and everything has yeah. happened for them. Yeah. So if yeah. you're going to look at evidence, then let's not look at what hasn't happened. Let's look at the generation that it has yeah. happened. Yeah, and, and we need, uh, sorry, we need so many more positive autistic role models. Totally. We really do. Yeah. Uh, because it, 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 we just need people that are relevant to our young people today. Yeah. Uh, that you can say, look, you know, this person has has disclosed they're on the autistic spectrum, and look how well they're doing. And but they've also had challenges and they've overcome them. So, yeah. you know, I think again we need, you know, we need that. Yeah. Um. What What do you think is positive about being autistic? Um. I just think it's been unique. Mm. I just think that um, it's it's kind of I'm very hyper vigilant. For me, I'm very hyper vigilant and can pick up. Considering that we're supposed to struggle with social interaction, I do, but I'm all, it's almost like a sixth sense with people. I can pick pick kind of vibes from people, um, which I think is part of my autism. Mm-hmm. I think my attention to detail, I think the fact that I'm a very deep thinker mm-hmm. and lots of the people that I work with um, and my own children are very, very deep thinkers as well. And we need people like that and, and lots of the young people I've worked with I've watched their minds look at something and you can just see, wow, he's looking at that in a totally different way or she's looking at that in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I think there are so many positives about being autistic yeah. um, that we, we need to celebrate yeah. all of those. And, you know, I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that it's not hard, it is. And it doesn't matter whether, you know, you, you have a diagnosis of Asperger's or um, autism. Life is really hard, but then it is for everybody. Yeah. Um, but we've also got to pick out the positives as well. And and there are lots, you know, being autistic 
is not the worst, most dreadful thing in the world. No, far from it, far yeah. from it. And I think you're right. I've said that in a previous chat. I think it was the girl with the curly hair that it is almost it is almost like a superpower in terms of how, yeah. because of the anxiety, because of the kind yeah. of deep yeah. thinking. And so you might not have the same instant social response that people might expect sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that what's going on behind is is a lot deeper. Yeah, I lot. also think as well, you know, because I work in the education system, I think autistic people are much more flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we I see lots of things happening in school where you think, well, why have they all? Why have all those children got to sit like that? Yeah. Why can't some of them, if it's more comfortable for them and they'll concentrate, why can't they sit like this? So I, I just think sometimes we're a bit more flexible as well, and yet we're supposed to be very rigid. But I do think we're a bit more flexible. Ah, oh, that's dead interesting. So in terms of, um, you know, routines and things, <laughs> you, you may be less flexible because you like yeah. things a certain way. Absolutely. But in, but in terms of thinking, questioning the norm. Yeah. and going just because it's always done that way doesn't mean yeah Absolutely. it's right yeah yeah, yeah. why is it that all the children have to sit cross-legged on the carpet um yes. you know I mean who it's like my little boy will say to me um mummy why do we have to go to school for five days a week and have two days off and I'll say well that's just the way it is and I'll go why can't we have two days of school and five days off which is a usual kind of thing from yeah. children but then he'll go slightly deeper and go, but so who invented that then, Mummy? Who was it who said that and why can't we change it? Yeah. yeah. I know that would benefit you if that because you'd much rather be at school just for two days. Mm. Um, so, But it's that questioning, well, well, why can't we change it? Why can't we do it differently? Yeah. And we need that. Surely we need that. I was going to say that is a really positive thing, having that, <laughs> that level of thought and that questioning is, is how yeah. we move things forwards and change the world because I happen to agree with them. Yeah. I think it would be – I think the weekend is – one of the most horrendous inventions that you know you really do only get one proper day off and then Sunday you're already back in the zone of thinking about being back at work on Monday exactly I I think it should be three days and I think people would get a lot more people would argue that oh you'll lose productivity because you've lost a day's work but you get more out of people for four days giving them three days off definitely I'm sure they do that in other countries I'm no expert on other countries but I'm sure that we lag behind in significantly as a in lots of things but certainly education of our children but that's um yeah um, another so, topic. yeah that's another topic but yeah absolutely i think that you know we we need to be more mindful um and i think we just think well it's always been done like that but i mean if you always do what you've always done you'll always get what you've always got yeah. right you... yeah so challenging stuff and questioning stuff and yeah and not accepting the norm is definitely a positive yeah, yeah absolutely yeah Okay, so let's let's talk the future. Although you kind of hinted that you're not entirely sure what that looks like, have you got have you got little things in your brain? You've obviously spoken about a possible second book. Have you got anything little fires in your brain that are things that interest you that you would like to explore uh, more? Many, many. It's it's. Uh, I suppose my one regret about having not been diagnosed earlier on was had I been diagnosed earlier on, I would have got support um, when I went off to higher and further education, um, and I desperately wanted to do um, do a, a master's this year, but I can't because funding isn't available. Um, but I, it's lifelong learning as well. It's kind of there are so many things I want to learn. Mm-hmm. 
I've got all these fires going off in my brain, so many things that I want to do that I end up going around in a circle. Um, I mean, yes, the book is one of them. Um, I have my day job, obviously, because I work for local authority uh, four days a week and I have the private work. So I'm just waiting to see where things take me. But always, always fires, always things different thinking about doing um, and different directions. I'm just waiting. I think, I suppose I'm just waiting for a sign of which direction to go in, I think. Yeah. And if there was an area that you think is not um, out there enough that needs more support, needs more help and attention within the autism and sensory world, is, is there something that jumps out at you that you think? Yeah. I still think it's pregnancy. I still think it's pregnancy and labour. Yeah. Um, that has been the one thing. I mean, I've I've done um, some mid, midwife training and, and I've done that obviously free of charge because there is no no money in the NHS. There's no money anywhere. Um, and I'm happy to do that. And uh, But I do think that really I'm not asking um, medical staff and maternity staff to be experts on autism. I'm not asking no. for that. What I want is for the woman to be an expert on her own autism but for the medical staff to listen and to appreciate that these things might happen so they need to kind of be prepared and work together so I still think it's pregnancy um I think that's a big a big a for me sensory wise as well yeah uh, as well as kind of understanding those different you know difficulties and things so yeah no I think you're absolutely right I think it's definitely a big a big area it would even be nice Mm. to get to the point where when you have your first midwife appointment, it's it's on the form, as Absolutely. in, are you on the spectrum? So that at least then it yeah. encourages that conversation. Absolutely. Of how do you want to be treated if the person that's there doesn't have the confidence or the ability to? Yeah. Definitely. I totally agree. Although at the moment, I was looking at a form the other day. I can't remember what it was for. Um, it was for some something um, to do with the outside world, if it's, like it's council related or something. And even on there, it said, "Do you consider yourself to have a disability? If so, is it um, it was physical, uh, learning, mental health?" So, well, no, it's none of those actually. No. That's that's the thing, and then that makes you feel like you can't say because yes, you don't fit in the box. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you know, other, and yet in the past, I've seen forms that have said said all of those things and said any other um, any other invisible disability. Okay, that's good. But, okay, yeah. we, we're kind of getting there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're making great steps forward. You know, in in terms of getting more awareness out there, and yeah, I think just people talking about stuff makes a massive difference. Definitely, definitely, and first-hand accounts from autistic people. Yes. It's- so much more valid and it's so richer because actually you've walked the walk yeah. it's like anything it's like you you know you wouldn't ask for advice about I don't know um cleaning windows from somebody who never cleaned a window would yeah. you that's a very that was an off the kind of off the cuff comparison but you know when you've lived it and and you've walked it and you've seen it with your own children that's really really important and the best speakers that I love to listen to are autistic people because yeah. everyone's so different yes. and there's such a different story and it's always really interesting absolutely brilliant well before we go is there anything any final thing that you you want to say to the world I don't think oh that's awful isn't it I have the final thing to say to the world and I haven't <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've said um, a lot. So I have said loads. So, yes. So there probably isn't anything else other than, you know, just let's just be 
let's just be kind to each other and let's all kind of accept each other for our differences. Yeah, absolutely. And I heard the other day, did you watch Bill and Ted when you were younger? You know, Bill and Ted's bogus adventure. And I did watch I think I might have missed out on it. I was either oh, too, too old or not well, sure. They're bringing out a third one when, when they're adults. And I'm, I've not watched it in years, but my son, who's eight, watched them recently. And the message in Bill and Ted is be excellent to each other. And we now say that in the house all the time. So that's... that's- like that yes yeah to each other yeah yeah brilliant well thank you very very much for taking time out to talk to us because i know how busy you are we really appreciate it thank you for having me thank you for asking me i've enjoyed it great thank you thank you we're back I was so nervous I forgot I didn't have a cue again and started just queuing on the class uh oh and that's what happens when jamie hears about pregnancy and birth terrifying um but you'll agree there were some great tips in there yeah some really for great those of you that don't have the crippling fear of children yeah so um if, if you hopefully you've just listened to that and you've heard lana's amazing tips on pregnancy and birth and being autistic um it was great to find out about how lana as a lot of uh, other people have found that when her son was diagnosed that is when it became apparent that she was actually on the spectrum as well i need to stop chewing on this piece of metal but <laughs> Uh, Lana, I, I'm not, I'm not good with thoughts about stuff yeah. like this. Lana has wrote a book, um, which is probably one that a book that you're probably never going to read, which is strange because Jamie likes to read all books. Um, no, I once stopped reading a book because it got boring. Yeah, but this book is about pregnancy and birth. And... Oh yeah, I didn't. I wouldn't <laughs> want to read that. Definitely. From here to place. maternity. I might give it to my sims so they have infinite children, though. Right. So yes, there's some great tips in here. We find out about Lana being diagnosed. Um, there was a lot of things in there that I felt quite similar to Lana. I am not diagnosed, but I am on the pathway to diagnosis. And a lot of the things that she, when she talks about being pregnant and that she was sniffing water bottles, it brings back a lot of uh, sensory things for me from when I was pregnant that would make a lot of sense. Um, all the things. All about- right. <laughs> <laughs> all of the, the things about the birth plans and everything. And if I'd known that I was possibly autistic whilst I was pregnant, we could have done things so much different. So if you're planning on having children or you're a mother, it, it just everybody needs to, to watch this one. Except me. Except you, but you've seen it. So Next week on Sensory Matters, Jenny is speaking to Dave Hewitt from Intensive Interations, I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, I've no idea what that is about, but I'm looking forward to listening and watching so that I can tell you guys next week. You, you looking forward to that one? It's got to be better than pregnancy. <laughs> so if you're not a VIC and you want to hear the full version of this podcast because you're listening to the, the shorter version, then go and sign up, um, become a subscriber and have access to our VIC club. See you later. Do you know what?